Uh, before I get started with the sermon, I want to make a clarification about something I said last week because at least one person uh, came to me and, and heard something that I did not mean to convey, and so I want to clear that up. I made a, when I was talking about addictions, I made a comment about uh, abusing medication by by taking it to unwind, and what I meant to say, and I don't know if it came out, was by combining it with alcohol or something like that. And so I was specifically speaking to abusing uh, medication in an addictive manner, and at least one person felt that I was maybe saying people who have to take medication to unwind for depression or anxiety or something like that are or were being condemned. That is not what I was saying, or nor was I saying you shouldn't take medication or go get medical treatment if you need it. Um, I do that. So... Please know that that's what I was saying. I just wanted to make a clarification about that just in case anybody else took, took that the wrong way. Um, our colic this morning said this, Merciful God who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Now, if you didn't pick up on it, there's pretty clear connection there to John the Baptist, right? Because we get in the gospel reading uh, the famous passage of John who is preparing the way for the Lord and who is calling the Israelites to repentance. So what I want to talk to you today uh, is about prophetic ministry, uh, specifically what I would call prophetic evangelism. Now, I, that might sound like a highfalutin theological term or something, but it's really a, quite a simple concept. Prophetic evangelism is simply this. It's speaking and acting, sometimes spontaneously, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to draw someone to the Heavenly Father, to bring someone close to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be marked by prophetic evangelism, by the Spirit of the Lord using little old me to reach people with the gospel. That's something I think worth getting excited about and worth talking about today. Now, don't be turned off by the term prophecy. Some people uh, associate that or think that it means that they have to wear camel's hair loincloths and eat, uh, you know, those big Florida grasshoppers for their diet because that's what John did. Um, and nor does prophecy always mean that you, uh, the only ministry of prophecy is when you stand up in the, in the church and say, thus saith the Lord and then give a word, okay? Sometimes that is a ministry. Um, Um, But prophecy or acting prophetically is simply to make the presence and reality and nature of God known through the inspiration of his Holy Spirit acting on you. It is a way to connect people, especially unbelievers, to the Father's heart, to the Father's heart for them, to show them that God is real, that he wants to meet their needs, that he desires to forgive them and to save them and bring them in relationship with himself. Now, I want to start with a story. I'm not a prophet, as far as I know, but sometimes I am prompted to act prophetically or to do prophetic evangelism. Let me share just one story with you, and maybe we'll do a second one later if time permits. Uh, just about, about a week ago or so, I was uh, in, in, the, in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord gave me uh, a, an image, just a vague image of a woman with a red T-shirt pushing a stroller. And um, I thought, okay, Lord, if that's something, then you need to lead me to that person. It's what we might call a word of knowledge. Um, and so later that day, I went out to a diner to uh, eat lunch. 
And uh, lo and behold, the waitress who approaches my table is wearing a red T-shirt. Now, could it be a coincidence? Sure. But I'm certainly going to act, even though I might be a little bit nervous, on what might have been a word from the Lord. So I said to the waitress, after she took my order, I said, yes, I'll have uh, the, 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 the bacon burger. I was eating very healthy that day. Um, and I, I said, can I just ask you a, a very random question? And she said, yes. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I said, I, um, I was wondering... Is there like a young child in your life that you're taking care of? Now, she was probably late 40s, around 50 maybe. And so I thought, well, it'd be kind of strange if she had like a stroller-sized baby. That wouldn't be common. But I just, I I gave it a shot. And um, she said, I said, I was praying this morning and I saw a woman in a red shirt pushing a stroller and I thought that God might lead me to someone who's taking care of And she said, oh my gosh, you're going to make me cry. She said, yes, I have a daughter who has a one and a half year old who I'm caring for right now. And so I'm with her all of the time with a one and a half year old. My daughter was very young when she had her baby. And um, so she was noticeably moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens in prophetic evangelism, it's not that you're like awesome and have some magical power to tell people things that only the Holy Spirit gave you. It's that the Holy Spirit wants to work on that person and reveal his love for them, God, the Father's love for them. And he, what happens is that in that moment, when you take the risk to speak out, the Holy Spirit begins to act on the person, okay? That's why people get visibly moved. It's not because you have smooth words or I have smooth words or something and they think we're great. It's that God is speaking to them. And so I'm sitting there and I said, wonderful. I said, God, I believe, is trying to tell you that his hand is on your life. His provision is going to, to be available to you and he loves you and cares about you. And she was moved. I said, I'll pray with you before I leave so on and forth, so forth. Then I was uh, eating, and the Lord reminded me that um, giving people words often needs to be linked with meeting their needs. And I remembered somebody had gifted me. I had $100 in cash in my wallet that I was going to go, you know, get some new clothes or something later that afternoon. And I felt like the Lord said, this is a person who has need. So um, I just, I gave her a big tip. I just handed it, handed it to her. Because what, really, what's a hundred stinking dollars? Really, in the scheme of eternity and all of eternity, to be able to help someone out a little bit during the holidays. And so um, I, it was, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Trust me. It was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me being a good person. Um, but sometimes we actually are able to give him the final say. So I, you know, I prayed for her prayed for her, talked to her about Jesus' love for her and, and dying for her sins and, and gave her, you know, a, a, a card so that she could be connected to the church if she so chose. But in that moment, I was simply prompted to act prophetically, to make the reality of God known in a supernatural way by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, you might think, but you're the priest. And so, you know, you've got like priest powers and stuff and you're God's, you know, special one. No, 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 no something in the Bible called the priesthood of all believers, right? Where we have all been called to be kings and priests in his kingdom. And God wants to use you to touch other people's lives and to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of prophetic evangelism. It's to prepare people or to lead people into an encounter with Jesus so that they would move closer to him to come into a saving relationship with him, right? Because this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, to reconcile them to their heavenly Father. And it's also to demonstrate that the gospel actually meets people's needs. The gospel is body, mind, soul. It meets all of our needs. 
Now, you could be uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to act prophetically through a word of knowledge. That was kind of an example of what a word of knowledge was, something like that information that only the Holy Spirit could give you that's pretty clear. Um, it could just be through a simple inner prompting that you feel like you should uh, do such and such or go speak to such and such or such people. It could be uh, through simply a deep feeling of compassion that comes over you and you see someone in need or a people group in need or you start to pay attention to a certain ministry that you see that you could be a part of or that you could uh, fund financially. It could be any of those things uh, or it could be a very explicit word from the Lord where the Lord makes it very clear to you. Some people do hear the Lord in an audible voice in their time of prayer or hear him very clearly in his word. But the purpose is that we are to act on it with boldness to let the Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do in and through us. Friends, we have a God who is looking for people who will stand in the gap. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He doesn't say pray. He doesn't say pray for a bigger harvest. He goes on and he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. He says, pray that people would be willing to step out in faith and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ died for them to have eternal life with him. Now, John the Baptist is a great model for prophetic ministry, and there's some practical things to be gained from what he does. So I want to talk about John for a minute. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 or look in your uh, uh, bulletin at Matthew chapter 3. Now, chances are you're probably not called to preach in the exact same way as John the Baptist. Um, then you would have to get the loin cl- camel's hair and all the locusts and everything um, and stand on the street corner and preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But in John's day and age, it was there was a context for that and that was the appropriate re- way to reach the Israelites who had m- large, uh, largely become very hardened in their hearts toward the God who had called them to be his covenant family. They had turned to other gods. They had forgotten him, believed that he abandoned them, and they they were walking uh, very, very faithlessly in their lives. And so John was calling them to repentance to turn back to God. Now, people get confused about the word repent, and they think that it means um, trying to muster up in my own power uh, feelings of guilt and shame so that then I can confess my sins to God and feel like really, really guilty because if I don't feel really, really guilty, then it's not real. Um, that's actually not what repent means. Now, there's a time and a place for, for dealing with guilt and let, let, letting that lead you to confession. But the word repent actually means to change one's mind. To change one's mind. And so what repentance is, when someone is preaching repentance, it is preaching of to change one's mind that leads to a change of the way of life. Because the way to the heart is through the mind, right? Through the thoughts, through the thought life. And so to change one's mind leads to personal transformation. And John says, repent, change the way that you're thinking for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what he's saying. John was uh, was a prophet who was prophesied about by Malachi in the Old Testament. He said, Behold, I'm going to send another Elijah to come before the day of the Lord. And Jesus tells his disciples, he says, If you're willing to believe it, John is that Elijah. And Jesus also says, John is the greatest. There's no greater in the kingdom of heaven than John. So Jesus thought very highly of this man that we sometimes think of as kind of a lunatic street preacher. Um, Regardless, John is preaching the kingdom, that the kingdom has come to earth, that God's heavenly realm is now invading the earthly realm, the unseen realm is invading the seen realm, and that's happening in and through the Son of God. 
And so John is preparing the way. And he's saying there are people who need to change the way that they're thinking so that their lives will be changed and that they'll be reoriented to God. Now, prophetic evangelism, prophetic evangelism leads to a change of people's minds. And I'm going to tell you how. It leads people to repentance. Because the ministry of uh, presenting the gospel is to lead people to repentance, to lead them to turn from one way of life and to turn towards the life that God intended them to live in relationship with Him. But you see, if the supernatural power of Jesus, whether it's through a word of knowledge like I had for the waitress or whether it's through laying your hands on the sick and praying for them and them recovering, which you, by the way, have the power and the authority to do if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, whether whatever uh, form that it takes or even supernatural inspiration to meet someone's need, it can demonstrate, it demonstrates to them that Jesus is real, that the God who is made himself known in Jesus is the true God, right? Because it has to change the way that you think if you get miraculously healed in the name of Jesus and you just thought maybe he was a great guy or something and you just believed there was a bunch of different gods and anybody could believe what they wanted. If you get healed by a Christian in the name of Jesus, you got to change the way you think. And it can lead to a transformation of life. It's why so many people in uh, Muslim countries and in, in, in spiritist Africa can't become Christians is because they experience the supernatural power of God in Jesus' name. That's more convincing than any philosophical argument or any Bible verse, right? Now, here's three ways that I believe prophetic evangelism uh, being used to give somebody a supernatural encounter with God changes the way people think. The first is this. It challenges religious relativism. Religious relativism is the belief that we are all at the bottom of the mountain taking different paths to the top and we'll all get to God at the top no matter what path we choose. That's religious relativism, right? Your religion is relative to what you believe and what you were conditioned to believe and whatever you choose can be the right path for you, whether you're Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Islam, Christian, spiritist, whatever, right? But you see, that, that, that comes into deep conflict with what Jesus says, that he is the only way to the Father, right? And that Peter and Paul preach, for there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. You see, with God of the Bible, you're not working your way up the mountain. The God of the Bible comes down from the mountain to us in the form of a human being, right? Because he's a gracious God who comes to find us. But when somebody has a supernatural encounter in Jesus' name, please use Jesus' name, it shows them and demonstrates to them who the true God is. And so it challenges religious relativism, which is very, very popular in our culture right now. Number two, it demonstrates to people that God is real, right? God will sometimes heal unbelievers. He will sometimes give a word of knowledge for unbelievers. It shows people that God is real and that his eyes are on their lives, that he sees them, that he has knowledge of them. And that can lead to a conviction in people's lives that they're indeed not walking with God, right? You see how this, that kind of encounter can actually change the way someone thinks and thus the way they live? And third, it destroys false notions that people have about God. People have notions about God because of bad experience or bad teaching that God is aloof and distant and that he doesn't care about their lives or that he's angry with them and he's not going to talk to them until they get everything sorted out and straightened out in their life or that he's just kind of a meanie, um, that he would never pay attention to them. 
And when you can demonstrate to someone, like the waitress heard this guy, this random guy, stranger I don't even know, is telling me that he prayed and he saw, you know, a woman in a red shirt taking care of a young child. That showed her that God's eyes are on her life, that he is pursuing relationship with her. So it challenges religious relativism. It demonstrates to people that God is real. And it destroys false notions that people have about God. Now, sometimes, here's the thing. You've got to be kind of like John the Baptist. You've got to be willing to look a little bit crazy. You've got to be willing to take risks. And you won't be right every time. And sometimes you will look stupid. But the Holy Spirit will use you. The Spirit of God will use you to reach people that He loves. Now, most of us say like, oh, I would take a bullet for the sake of Jesus or something. But I just don't want to be socially awkward because that would be embarrassing. (laughs) Right? That's the worst. I'd rather take a bullet. But when you yield to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit's promptings, and you step out in faith, you're preparing the way for Jesus to enter people's lives. That's exactly what John the Baptist was doing. He was preaching boldly and preparing the way for Jesus to enter people's lives. He said, one is coming after me who's far more powerful than I. He is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He prepared the way. And so it is the mission of every Christian to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, whether or not someone actually comes to Jesus, and I hope that the Holy Spirit will sometimes, He will give you the opportunity to pray with people and lead them to Jesus and prompt you to pray with them to to receive Jesus as Lord, but that is ultimately not up to you. So you can be relieved of the stress that I might not make a convert if I do that because it's ultimately not up to us. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. Right? It's only the work of God's grace in, a, in an unbeliever's heart that can dr- bring someone to believe in the name of Jesus for salvation. It's only a work of God's grace. So you leave that up to Him, but He wants to use you as His mouth and His hands and His feet to proclaim the good news. Now, some of you may be saying, I, this is so crazy to me. This would be so outside my comfort zone. I could never do this. I've never even thought about doing something like this. Well, let me just say a few things uh, that to lay a foundation for this. One is that if you have union with Jesus, which by virtue of your baptism and putting your faith in Him, you have union with Jesus, you have a foundation because the Spirit of God indwells you. And Jesus said, those who abide in me will bear much fruit. So if part of your life, a very important part of your life is that you are abiding in Jesus, that you're spending time in His presence, in solitude, in His Word, listening to Him, bringing your heart before Him, asking Him to inspire you to walk in the power of His Spirit, you will bear fruit. Jesus says so Himself. Now the other thing is this, and John brings this up today. And he says, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one who's coming after me, and He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in Acts, as we listened to, uh, reviewed in our class this morning, uh, says to his disciples, who presumably are saved, who are Christians, he says, you are going to go into the city and you're going to wait and the promise of the Father is going to come upon you and you are going to be clothed with power from on high. Friends, if we're not clothed with power from on high, if we're not baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit, we won't have the boldness to go out there and to do what we're called to do. 
It is a blessing that God wants to bestow on all of His believers to give them, whether you want to call it baptism in the Holy Spirit or a filling of the Holy Spirit or resting in the Spirit or whatever, where the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power and give you the boldness that you don't have in your natural self. You see, so many of us are paralyzed by fear. So many Christians are paralyzed by fear. It's why this country's not getting evangelized very effectively is because we're, we're paralyzed by fear. And I would say also comfort is one of the killers. Um, but you see, only by being filled with God's Spirit, and Paul says the Spirit of God is the love of God poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The fear doesn't go away. Trust me, I'm still shaking a little bit when I approach someone to do ministry. I'm nervous. My heart is beating fast. I have butterflies and all of that. The fear doesn't go away. But love is greater than fear. And if the love of God dwells in you, the love for God and love for people who don't know Him, it will give you strength to overcome the fear. Love is stronger than fear. Say that with me. Love is stronger than fear. That's what will drive us into these kind of encounters. Now, some of us doubtlessly feel unworthy of such a thing, unworthy of such this type of ministry. We think, Lord, if you knew who I was, or Father Cameron, if you knew what I've done or how far I have been from the Lord lately, you know that this is not for me right now. Let me just remind you of a story in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus approaches Peter And Peter, this is early on in the story, I think it's in Luke chapter 5, and Peter's been out fishing with the guys all night long, and they haven't caught a single stinking fish. You know, Peter must have been in such a bad mood. He's like, I'm going to go home, and my wife's going to say, where's the fish? Where's the money? And I don't have anything to show for it. He's probably in a bad mood. And uh, Jesus calls out and he says, Peter, throw the net on the other side. And, uh, you know, he was a distance, so... We don't get these details, but Peter was probably, you know, mumbling under his breath. Oh, Mr. Carpenter, who thinks he's a rabbi, is now going to be master fisherman and tell me, the real master fisherman, how to fish. Okay, Jesus. And so he humors him and he throws the net on the other side and it begins to fill with fish miraculously so fast that they, the boat begins to sink when they pull the net into the boat. And they have to scurry to get to the shore. And what happens is that Peter in that moment, recognizes the authority and lordship of Jesus. And Peter also at the same time recognizes his own unworthiness. And he falls down and he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He recognizes. He says, Jesus, if you knew who I was, if you knew how I'd been living, if you knew how far I'd been from God, if you know how many times I've missed my prayers, if you know what I did last week, You would not want anything to do with me because I'm immature, I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm sinful. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Follow me because I am going to make you a fisher of men. Friends, that's what you were created for. That's what you were created for. And no matter where you are and how far you have been from God, Jesus is calling you today and he says, follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. One of the greatest ways to grow closer to the Lord is to step out in faith and begin to take risks in doing ministry, doing prophetic evangelism. 
You know, God wants his children to be great. He wants to make you great. J.I. Packer, theologian, always used to say that uh, a sign of love is that love desires to make the other great. And God wants to do great things for us. He wants to use us for great things. It's like the, the, seeing the caterpillar but envisioning the butterfly. That's how God sees us. And yet he's also the God who comes alongside us and allows us to be transformed into the butterfly, to be transformed into the type of people who actually see that the gospel's not going to go forward, the church isn't going to grow, the kingdom doesn't get to expand unless I get off my blessed assurance and get out there and proclaim it. The good news. You see, Mark chapter 6 tells us this. When Jesus saw the large crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without shepherds. What a picture of our world today. People lost, wandering, often aimlessly and recklessly, trying to find meaning for their lives apart from Him. And yet Jesus died, shed His blood for every single one of them. Do you realize that there's not a single person that you meet in public that Jesus wasn't thinking of when He took His last breaths in pain and agony on the cross? And He loves them and wants to reach them and He wants to use you and me. In 1732, there were two Moravian Christians from Germany named Johann Dober and David Nietzschmann. And they were called, they felt a call to minister to African slaves on the islands of the West Indies. Um, They received a lot of pushback for this. They were having trouble getting a ship and they got to the point where they said, we will sell ourselves into slavery to be able to go there and to preach the gospel to these people who have not heard the name of Jesus. And they finally were able to uh, procure a ship and to get over there. And the story goes, as they were leaving the shore and their loved ones were waving goodbye to them from the shore, they turned back towards their loved ones and they shouted this, May the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. You see, friends, that is our commission to win for the lamb of God the rewards of his suffering. The lost people who are out there who he died for, they're his reward. And that's our commission To win that reward for him. That is why the church exists. To reach the people. The man sleeping in the sleeping bag on the church campus. The single mom who's a prostitute on on OBT trying to raise a a young daughter by herself. The the victims and perpetrators of human sex trafficking. The, The atheist teenagers who are talking about how they don't believe in God at the Starbucks table next to you. The waiter at Cheesecake Factory. And the list goes on and on and on. There's not a single one of them who Jesus didn't die for and wants to reach them. And God, the Father, His heart is saying, where's my church? Where's my church? And friends, the the church in the West, it's just dwindling because we're not walking in the power of God. You see, there's so much to think about as we as a smaller sized congregation try to uh, move forward into the future and all of the struggles that that brings with it. How will we thrive financially? How will we have the amount of people to do this and to have programming that we need? How will we do this and how will we do that? We're so small in number. Friends, can I just tell you what the secret is? The secret is for us to be clothed with power from on high and to be people who will step out as individuals who are equipped 
by the power of the Holy Spirit to step out there and to preach the gospel and to bear fruit. You see, building, you know, the idea of if you build it, they will come, that will only get us so far. And I'm for events, and I think we should do our events great and invite people to them. But you can see that holding a good event doesn't actually increase the attendance of the church significantly because we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise that God gave to all of His believers. It's what the disciples in the early church experienced. It's what people all over the world experience today to be filled up and sent out. Friends, and that is what God is calling us to do. Now, as our musicians um, get uh, prepared to uh, lead us into uh, worship, if you guys would just uh, play, just, just play softly and just minister to the Lord just for a minute, um, I just want to give an opportunity. If you uh, feel like, I need the Lord to give me this kind of boldness for this sort of ministry, I want to be commissioned, I want to do the things that I haven't had the, 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 the power and the love yet to do to overcome fear, I want you to come up to the altar and I just want to pray for you, just for the Lord's anointing on your life to, to, to commission people out into the community because that is where the Spirit of the Lord is going to grow this church and He's going to expand the, the kingdom of God. And so I just want to pray for you that God would put an anointing on your life and just fill you up afresh and make you an evangelist who will bring people to the love of Jesus.